please stand for our scripture reading. Today's reading is from Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You remain standing as we pray. Lord, we ask that we would be in your counsel, that we would walk in your ways. And we would be in a presence near you, in your seat, Lord. That's what we ask this morning as we study Psalm 1. We pray this in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people shouted. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Today we are starting a new sermon series. It's going to last all the way into the summertime, if you can believe that, quite a few weeks. And we are going to be studying, drumroll, the Psalms. The Psalms. I think it's everyone's, at least it's my favorite book of the Bible. How could you not like the Psalms? The subtitle of this sermon series is Psalms Teaching Us the Language of Faith. And that is also point one this morning. The Psalms Teach Us the Language of Faith. I have a little baby. He was 11 months exactly yesterday, and his name is Theo Theophilus. For the that's his whole name. It means lover of God, and he is just now barely learning how to talk and say words. He's saying mama and dada, and probably his favorite is uh oh. He'll take something and drop it. Uh oh, and he's learning the language of his parents. He's learning English. And I think that my, one of my main points this morning is that if we know the Psalms, if we learn the Psalms, we are learning the language of our faith. I think if we are into some subject or some video game or some sport and someone comes in, we kind of just know right away by the way they talk, whether they really know what they're talking about. If someone comes into Manitou and says how much they love the city of Manitou, do they know what they're talking about? No, you're just kind of like, no, you're not even saying the word right. I'm uh, a caver. I like going caving. That's just my thing. I know it's weird. Um, but if someone comes in saying they love spelunking, I know right away that they have no idea what they're talking about. Only non-cavers use the word spelunking. I'm sure this is news to a lot of you. But it's just kind of what, it's, it's just what we, it's, you know that. It's like, oh, they're, they're new to this thing. And, and people talk, of, I think if Christians come in, someone comes into our world and starts trying to talk the talk, it's like you just kind of know, like they're, they're new, and everyone at some point is new to being a Christian. But I think my, my premise here is this, that the songs teach us the language of faith. And by the way, let me teach you something about kind of using the right vocabulary. Uh, if it's one psalm, then it's psalm. If it's many psalms, it's psalms. So it's not psalms one, it's psalm one. So just to, it's just a little piece of correction there for you, um, for whatever that's worth. But the psalms teach us to pray. And what I mean by that is, 
that, that if we learn the Psalms, it's, uh, praying is not like spells. A spell, at least in the movies, is like if you get the right words right in the right order, then these things happen by magic. And that is not how prayer works. That's not how the Lord works. But instead, the Psalms help us with our language of faith. Let me tell you a story. Uh, I know a pastor. I still know him. Uh, it's a wonderful story. Maybe I should just say their name. Uh, his name is Daniel Grothy. Anybody know Daniel Grothy? Uh, he can just pray. He can just, he just prays. I, I got to be on a staff with him back in the college ministry. And every week on Tuesdays before our staff meeting, we would take 30 to 45 minutes and just pray. And he just could pray. He just if you know Daniel, if you've heard him pray, he can just pray, and they're beautiful prayers. And I always thought, man, before this prayer meeting, he must just sit down and, and work through what he's going to say, because his prayers are so beautiful and eloquent and poetic. I thought he, he can just pray really well. Until, like, when I was getting to know Daniel, I was in his office one time, and someone came in and just shared they were going through this hard time. So Daniel said, can we just pray? And, and I, I prayed quickly for them, and then Daniel started this just beautiful prayer, like, may they be like a tree planted by streams of water, and may they continue to meditate on the law of the Lord day and night, and this prayer went on and on, and this person was in tears and said, thank you, and then left, and as soon as they were out the door, I turned to Daniel, and I said, how do you do that? Like, how do you just pray like that? And he said, well, it's, it's, that was just Psalm 1, I took Psalm 1, and I prayed through it, and I was like, like, mind blown, like, I was like, oh, uh, he, he just knows scripture really well. Specifically, he just knows the Psalms really, really well. And he matches up a psalm with a situation and kind of prays through that. And I was just mind blown. I was like, that's what I need to do. I would love to take my prayer life up a notch. So four years ago, uh, I started memorizing psalms and trying to pray like that, just working the psalms into my prayers. Maybe you haven't noticed, but I have noticed just my confidence in praying. Like, I'm going to pray through Scripture. I'm going to allow Scripture to work through my thoughts as I pray and lead other people in prayer, and it has been Wonderful. So the Psalms, as we overview very briefly before we get into Psalm 1, the Psalms are many people's favorite book of the Bible. It is different songs. They're all written with some sort of hymn to them, some sort of uh, song attached to these Psalms. And unfortunately, uh, because they were written a long time ago, we have lost the tunes. We're not really sure. Sometimes you'll be reading a psalm and it says, To the tune of the lilies, to the tune of a doe in the morning, to a tune of a dove in the distant oaks. That sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? But we don't know what those songs sound like. We just have the lyrics of these songs. But know that in the history of these songs, they were all written to music. They were all meant to be sung. Song is a pretty big part of the human experience. We, we just spent a half hour, a little more, 45, 40-ish minutes singing here in unison together and working through prayers and offerings through song. Song is maybe what makes us human. Like We live our lives and different songs come on. We can relate memories and things and times in our life to songs. The New Testament puts it this way. It's in Colossians 3.16. Paul is saying to us, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through the psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. 
There we sing songs. There's happy songs. There's sad songs. There's love songs. There's every kind of song. And I want to say maybe another argument, my thesis, that you continually hear throughout this very long sermon series that we are beginning today is that there's a song for everything. Remember when the iPhone came out a couple of years ago, the, the big uh, commercial was there's an app for that. It's like 2009. If you want to go skiing, you want to know the snow conditions, there's a app for that. If you want to know how many calories are in your lunch, there's a app for that. If you want to know where your car is parked, there's a app for that. Remember this commercial? Remember this big push by the iPhone? And I would like to argue, whatever you're experiencing in life, there is a psalm for that. And that might come as a surprise to many of you. If you're not that familiar with the psalms, you might just think, oh, I, I know there's one about some shepherds, Psalm 23. I know there's some, uh, some psalms about being joyful and happy, like Psalm 150, the temporal and dancing and singing. But there's also psalms like in the deep despair of the human experience, someone writing and asking for mercy from God for a horrible decision that they made, that's Psalm 51, uh, among others, or someone thinking about the world and the way it is, Psalm 2, which I think we'll talk about next week, opens, off and opens up and says, why do the nations conspire, the people plot in vain, the kings of the earth bow down, and the rulers band together against the Lord? Why does this happen? Someone just asking about the world around us and the world we live in. Psalm 8 is a psalm about how awesome creation is. Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 3 is being mad at your enemies. Do you know there's a whole psalm? Anybody ever mad at anybody else? No one? Okay, wait, come in. And everyone has been mad at someone else. And there's a psalm. There's a couple, quite a few, actually. The one that comes to my mind is Psalm 3. It says, Lord, break the teeth of the wicked. Like, oh, are we allowed to say that at church? Well, it's a part of the song. It's a part of what this person is going through. And they're just, they know these people want to kill him. It's David as he's fleeing. And, and he's, he's fleeing from his own son. And this band of people is out to get him. And David's just crying out to God. There's a psalm for that situation. There's a psalm for questioning God. If you've ever questioned God, <laughs> We've all questioned God. God, where are you in this? I think Psalm 22 asks the question, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is then what Jesus says on the cross. He's quoting Psalm, questioning, God, where are you? Why have you left me? What is going on? The Psalms are our response to God. It's interesting. We'll talk about this some more during the series, but there's five books of the Psalms. There's also five books of the law, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. There's five books where God tells us, his people, here's how I want you to be. Here's how I want you to live. Here's how I have called you apart. And then the book of Psalms is five books responding to God. Many theologians have pointed this out and said, well, how beautiful it is that God speaks to us and then there's this speaking to God in the Psalms. And I think what the Psalms teach us, I'll leave us with this last story, and then I'll get uh, to Psalm 1, and we'll talk through it a little bit. But the Psalms lead us to say amen in our life. And by, what I mean by that is uh, we meet at the end of a prayer. I, that's just what we say. I say it. Let's say amen. I just said all kinds of people shout amen, and you, you shouted amen. And that's like the ending to, a, ending to a prayer. But really what this word means is yes, like, let it be, or this is true. So when we resonate with the Psalms, when we pray through Psalms, 
and engage in them, we get to our lives this place of saying, Amen. Yes, Lord, you come and do your will. You are in charge. Yes. So this story is a, it's a pretty sad story of a friend of mine who, when I was in the college ministry, was one of our leaders, very close to him. And, and I think he, we, we would say, even in hindsight, we'd say, one day his, his wife just left him, like kind of said goodbye, and she moved with her parents just very suddenly, very drastically. She, she just moved. They really weren't going through, usually as a pastor, and just looking on to a situation, you kind of see, like, oh, this, we saw this coming. They were having issues. They weren't working them out, and so on and so forth. But this situation seemed to be pretty abrupt and drastic. She just left. She moved to another state with her parents, and he was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't have a job here. I need to move with my parents. And so like a week later, he moved with his parents, and me and a friend uh, called this, this man who his wife had left, and we Skype called him. And he, this was like a week and a half after she had just left, and he hadn't talked to her since. And he was just, as you can imagine, going through the lowest point someone can go through in their life of just questioning and asking. And he was telling us on the Skype call that he was thinking about suicide. He was telling us that he was, he was going to give up on faith. He was telling us just how horrible his life was at this time. And I, being a young pastor, I, I didn't say anything I regret. I didn't say anything wrong, but I was just kind of throwing out those things that we throw out, and maybe as pastors, we're most guilty of this, like just saying, well, God is still good, and, you know, God, God this isn't a surprise to God. It's just true things and good things to say, and the other guy, my friend on the phone listening, was just silent, just listening, and, and as I was throwing out, honestly, some cliches, and just, that's what, I think when I get nervous, I just kind of start maybe talking and just kind of like throwing out things that maybe he could grab on. Nothing, again, nothing wrong, but that's not what he needed at that time. What he needed was someone to just listen to him. So this other guy on the phone was just listening and, and, and said, I'm hearing what you're saying. What you're saying is this. And just repeat it back. You're saying that you're, you're kind of down to your last draw. You're thinking about taking your own life. You're, you're saying that you don't know even if God is even true anymore. You're asking where God is. And, and, we, and then it was that moment in the conversation that turned. And he just said, yes, that's what I'm saying. No one is hearing me. No one is listening to me. Thank you so much for just listening to me. This, and, and then we just kind of remained quiet and cried over the Skype call and then began to pray over him some psalms and we went through scripture. But for him, I think even he would say that that was a turning point in his um, to depression and, and struggling through that situation that it, honestly it didn't it wasn't a happy ending in the end and that was years ago but it was us listening to him and, and, and the other guy on this guy called listening that coached me like he just needs to get to a point where he can say what he wants to say and go through that and, and just have other people say yes I hear you and I think many of the Psalms lead us to these moments where other people have prayed similar prayers and we can say, yes, other people have prayed this, and yes, God is listening, and yes, we can get to a prayer where we say, amen, let this be, this is the Lord, and even though it's hard, the Lord is in this, and the Lord is covering So we will come back to this in some of the harder Psalms as we go through this series. But this psalm today is, is kind of a joyful psalm, just kind of a psalm that tells us how it is. This is Psalm 1. Um, 
The point here is this. There's two ways of life, one blessed and one perishing. So if you have a Bible, uh, a paper Bible, open up to Psalm 1. We're going to be looking. It's just six verses. We're going to be looking at these six verses and going through them. And this psalm is just a psalm of telling it how it is. There's a lot to be said in a psalm uh, about who wrote it, and lots of times it's David or Asaph or somebody else. And this psalm doesn't have an author. It doesn't begin with a psalm of David. It just begins. And this is Psalm 1, verse 1, book 1, first verse of Psalm 1 says the word, alas. In Hebrew, it is the word ashrei. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing that right. It means blessing or happiness or joy. And when it's used here in Psalm 1, it's, it's actually the plural. So it could be translated, oh, the joys. How wonderful it is, is the person. We say man, but it's a metaphor for all humanity. How blessed is the person who does not, these three things, walk in the way, uh, walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of of mockers. They are blessed. They are happy. You've probably heard the song by, what's his name, Pharaoh Williams, Happy. He talks about clapping, talks about how bad news is coming, but he's not going to listen to it. How nothing can get him down. Like, that's what I think this, like, that's my image of, like, blessing and happiness of just someone singing about how happy they are, how good things are. And we would say, as, as Christians, we'd take another step and say, there's probably a difference between just being happy and putting on a smile and true joy that someone can have, even if they're not smiling. And this is that kind of joy, this true happiness that someone can have that's written about in this psalm. Most Americans, uh, if you ask them, hey, what do you want out of life? What are, you, what are you hoping for? What do you want out of life? How many of them would say, I just want to be happy, like I want to be happy, that's what we want as people, as, uh, as just humans, like that's what we want to be happy. In fact, in our Declaration of Independence, when we uh, as Americans said we're, we're no longer part of Great Britain, we are our own thing, one of the lines in that Declaration of Independence is that we want our own right for the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. That's what we want. We want to be happy and we seek these things. I think we uh, are, are all you know, trying to get it, take it, buy it, eat it, drink it, trying to find happiness in every way we can, and, and yet this finding and taking and, and using things for our happiness, I think we'd all say, that's really not where that's found. As Christians, followers of Jesus, his words say this, he said, if you seek him, all this will be added unto you. That's Matthew 6, 33, where Jesus says, here's all these things you need, like clothing and shelter, and, and look at all these things. If you want these things, if you want to be full and happy and blessed, well, then seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. I found these uh, statistics pretty sad. A Gallup poll said that 70% of Americans are unhappy with their job. That's, that's a lot of unhappiness in our world. A New York research team said that just most Americans are just unhappy, altogether unhappy with their lives. And if you want to be happy, if you want to be blessed, if you want this true joy that comes, well then listen to these words of this psalm. It says that this, happy is the one, blessed is the one, joyful is the one who does not, three things, walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. Basically three things. The first one is don't listen and hang out with bad advice. Don't have bad associations. 
And as a tagline, we'd say, well, Jesus hung out with the sinners and the people that weren't that good of people. But yes, he did. And he brought them up. He wasn't hanging out with them to do what they do. He was hanging out with them to bring them up. But in our lives, we could say, well, don't listen to bad advice. Don't have bad associations for association's sake. And finally, don't be the ones who mock. I think it's in our culture today, think of maybe the social media world and just how popular it is to mock things. Oh, it's popular to, oh, the government. And we get us all start to, yeah, that stinks in the government. We can start talking about uh, the big corporations and just mock things that are happening. We can mock people who are successful. That's popular. Maybe most popular in our society outside of the church would be to mock God and his followers. And all those, all those Christians and God and anyone that believes in God and just mock. That's kind of a popular thing in our day and obviously in this day of Psalm 1 that, that people just mock. If you want to be happy, don't do that. Don't, have, don't listen to bad advice or have bad associations or just mock everything that you see. If you want to be happy and blessed and joyous, there's things you need to say no to. Just like an athlete. If you're working as an athlete and training, you have to say no to a lot of ice cream. You have to say no to a lot of Doritos. You have to say no to every fast food place you drive by if you're training to be a world-class athlete. If you are training to be blessed and joyous, there's a lot you have to say no to. This psalm juxtaposes two things, the good and the righteous and the blessed versus the, the unrighteous and the wicked and the chaff who are perishing. It's kind of a simplistic way of looking at the world. I think about my kids. In whenever we watch a movie or, or a story or something like that, my kids, there's really just two types of characters. There's the good guys and the bad guys. There's nobody in between. Good guys, they're very confused by stories that where the good guy becomes bad and where the bad guy becomes good. They're like, what, what does that mean? Like, were they really good all the time? Or how, like, they just don't get it. Because a very simplified worldview is there's just good people and bad people. And maybe there's some truth to that. This song is saying that really there's, there's two ways to go. And maybe that is inside each of us. A, a, a way of the righteous and a way of the wicked. And if you keep on this way of the righteous, well then you're going to be a righteous person. If you keep making decisions that are wicked, well then you're going to lead to a road that is perishing. You're going to lead to a situation where you will be like the chaff, this verse says. If you, if you know anything about wheat, there's, there's seeds in the kernel that's covered by this pokey, like thorny chaff. And you don't eat that, obviously. You eat the seed inside and you break it down and break bread and flour out of it. But the chaff is just blown away by the wind, wherever the wind takes it. Think about people who are blown this way and that way by maybe something spiritual. Maybe as believers in the Bible, we say, well, there is a Satan and he is deceiving people. And sometimes people are being blown and tossed by evil ways and things and they don't even believe in anything like that, but they're being blown this way and that way. Let me get to this next point, and this is the point about the righteous. This is point three out of four. It says, delight and meditate on the Lord. Verse two says, his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on this law he meditates day and night. That is what a joyous person, a blessed person, a righteous person is like. They delight in the law of the Lord, and they meditate on it day and night. So the first part of this whole psalm says, here's what you don't do. You 
you don't do these things. I'm going to list three things. And there's a lot of people, maybe uh, many of us included, that, that we like to brag about what we don't do. It's like, yeah, I don't watch TV. I don't drink alcohol. I don't uh, smoke or chew or go with girls who do, is this weird little saying in church. It's like, yeah, we brag about the things we don't do. And sometimes people from the outside look in at us as Christians and say, oh, there's the goody two-shoes. They don't do this and they don't do that. And they're not supposed to do this, but I saw them doing this. And they don't do this and they don't do that. But what do we do? There's a lot that we don't do, and, and that's important in Psalm 1. But I think more importantly is what do we do? And verse 2 says, well, we, we delight in the law of the Lord, and on it we meditate day and night. So the first half is just delighting. That's our desire. And the second half is meditation. That's our habit. I think meditation is the link between theory and action. If we sit and think about it, that is what forms our worldview. So both our desire and our habits are in line. I think many of us, uh, and some of us are still going through these things. Oh, January 1st comes along. It's like, oh, I want to start exercising. I desire to do that. But then the habit you know, around the end of January, which we're at now, is that we just need to be reminded, oh yeah, that's right, we really do desire to be healthier, and we need to constantly remind ourselves, well, we need both, the desire and the exercise, the habit and the desire. Philippians 2.13 puts it this way, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. And this, this whole psalm is telling us to desire the law of the Lord and to meditate on it day and night. And what is the law of the Lord? Specifically here it's talking about the Torah, the, 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 the books of the law in the Old Testament. But we as Christians would say, well yeah, it doesn't just stop with those five. It would stop with the whole canon of God's scripture. And in fact, we would even say, if we're listening to Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 17, he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He's like, well, Jesus is the full fulfillment. So if we desire to be like Jesus and do what he said, if we meditate on the ways of the words of Jesus day and night, then we will be like a tree, it says. This, this is the last point here. And it's a question, is your life like a tree? Someone has this great analogy about a tree. If you do this, if you're like the righteous, you want to you know what that's like? It's like a tree. This image of a tree planted by streams of water. Consider the trees. They're very old. Think about when my dad and I, well, many years ago in upstate Rome, New York, we'd cut down trees and then chop them up for wood for our fireplace. And you cut down a tree, how do you tell how old it is? You count those rings. I'm like, wow, cool, this, this tree's 70 years old. Wow, have you ever heard of anything 70 years old? Wow, as a little kid counting these rings. There's trees even older than that. The redwood forest has uh, these big redwood woods and the sequoia forest are maybe 2,000 years old. There's Bristol cone pine in somewhere in Nevada. There's these pine trees that are growing that may be 5,000 years old and their roots go way, way down and they're planted by streams of water for five, like a couple thousand years before Jesus, thousands of years before David, a couple thousand years before Moses. Like this tree was a baby seed that grew and here it is, it's somewhere in Nevada growing still to this day, and that's what a righteous life is like. It's going to go on and on and on because it's planted by the streams of God and living in His Word and in His ways. 
I think about the book uh, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. If you've read that book, it's really popular a couple of years ago. There's lots of analogies about how uh, some things just are better than everything else. Hockey players and computer experts and trees. He gives this analogy about the tallest tree in the forest isn't just the tallest tree in the forest because it had good genes. It was planted in the right place at the right time, and it grew up bigger than other trees. It got more light, it got more nutrients in the soil, and it got more water than the other trees. That's why it's the tallest, and that's what the life of God is like. When we are planted by Him and drinking up His source, we will be like that. That is what righteousness and joy and happiness looks like in a life. Think about another analogy. The Sea of Galilee in Israel, never been there, would love to go. The Jordan River flows into it, the Jordan River flows out of it. It's fresh water, something like 20-something uh, species of fish, all kinds of plants in the sea. Jesus fishes in the sea, Peter, the fishermen. It's just a sea teeming with life because it has an inlet and it has an outlet. Like we as uh, believers, we should have an inlet, the source of life, God. And as we have an outlet, we, that's how we grow. That's what a good life, a happy life looks like, a life of serving. I think about yesterday. Some of us uh, were at the fruitcake toss, this silly little thing the city of Manitou puts on, and we were just helping. We were just meeting and greeting people and helping where we could. It's just a life where that's what we do as a church. That's what we do as believers. We serve different places, and we are like this tree that has fruit in season. Now, tree doesn't eat its own fruit. Fruit are for other things. It's a very interesting analogy that if you're really healthy, you will have uh, fruit in your life. Not like, so that this, going back to this other analogy, the Jordan River flows in and out of the Sea of Galilee, teeming with life, and then it runs down and just stops at the Dead Sea. And water doesn't go anywhere. It just kind of fills up and evaporates and doesn't go anywhere. And they call it the Dead Sea because it's... Dead. It's really dead. It's so salty. Not a single fish lives in this thing. Just some weird, stinky bacteria, and it's gross. And there's no life in the Dead Sea. And I think about if you're getting this message that yes, there are streams that we are planted by, and we're getting a lot from God. But we also, as the people of God, we 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 let the water go out of us, and we serve other people. And this this reach campaign that we we talked about last couple weeks will continue on this year. We'll keep reminding ourselves that we are a church that serves and invites people to church and tells people about the good news. So concluding here this morning, the foreshadowing of, of this book of the Psalms is is one that says, you know, Psalm 1 is, is somewhat simplified. And, and I think it's, it's probably in theology maybe uh, maybe oversimplified, but it's, but it's the Word of God. It says there's blessed people and there's, and there's the unrighteous, wicked people. There's good guys and there's bad guys. And yet, what happens when the good guys suffer? I think the rest of the entire book of Psalms is kind of like arguing with, well, Lord, where were you? Why are the righteous prospering? What's going on, Lord, when this and this happens? Why, are, why is my pillow wet with tears and, and the wicked are out there doing what they do and I've been trying to follow you but what happens? Well let me lead you as, as we think about communion to someone in our history who lived a perfect life. Jesus didn't you know, walk in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. He, he was a perfect human being and fully God at the same time lived a perfect life without sin and yet the sinners 
and the mockers and, and the ones who wanted to destroy took him and killed him on a cross. And this image of the tree becomes an image where our God died. And how, you know, even the Psalms say, anyone who dies, a tree is cursed. And like Jesus was cursed, but he was cursed for us. And so may I remind us, we're going to read through Psalm 1 as a prayer, that this is our great hope, that, that Psalm 1 does have it right. There is righteousness and there is wickedness, and we strive to be on the course of righteousness. But what happens when we mess up? Or what happens when we're feeling the weight of unrighteousness, when we've made some right decisions? Well, Jesus will make all things right. God raised him up, although he died because of our sin. Our sin was placed on him, and he suffered, and he died. God raised him up, and there is still wonderful, great hope as we look at the Psalms. Would you stand with me? I'm going to read through Psalm 1 as a prayer. And if you could quiet your hearts, you could bow your heads. Lord, we pray these words to you. And, and Lord, we thank you for them. We thank you that blessed is the person. And Lord, we know this to be true. Remind us that this is your truth. That blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Although we pray that our delight, every one of us in here, we pray that our delight would be on your law. And on it we might meditate day and night. And though we would be like a tree planted by streams of water. Lord, I pray that you will give us this analogy and this image. Whenever we see trees that are tall, Lord, make us like that because this tree has found the source of life. Lord, you are the true source. There's, there's plenty of good things and great things in this, in this world, but Lord, you are ultimately the source of our life. And Lord, we pray that we will yield fruit in season. We pray that our leaves won't wither because you will receive the glory. We pray that whatever we do will prosper. And Lord, we thank you that we're being kept from being wicked because this passage says that the wicked are like the chaff that the wind blows away. And the wicked will not stand with the Lord in judgment. And sinners won't get to stand in the assembly of the righteous. Because, Lord, you are watching over the way of the righteous. The way of the wicked will perish. And so, Lord, we pray that you will help us choose what is righteous. The wickedness will pass from us like chaff. It will just be blown away from us. So, Lord, we praise you this morning. We worship your holy name. As we prepare for communion, if you would, as a congregation, read this prayer with me. It's our sort of tradition week by week to read these words together, asking for the Lord to cover over us. I think about this psalm and its simplicity is, you know, choose the way of the righteous and you'll be blessed. And if you choose the way of the wicked, then, then, then you'll be like chaff that are blown away. But what about us in this room that so many times have chosen the way of the wicked. Well, the Lord has his mercy. The Lord will forgive us. And this is a declaration of those promises and us confessing before the Lord as we prepare for communion. So would you read this with me and pray it? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry 
and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.